Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we are going to be diving into a really, really interesting car, especially because it's not as low level as I think a lot of us were expecting. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the new Ferrari 296 GTB. It brings back a V6 with a turbocharged hybrid twist and has 819 horsepower. If I remember correctly, we all thought this was going to be the new Dino, right? That's that's the that's the impression that we all had that this was going to be the new Dino, it would be the new like entry level Ferrari. How do you have an entry level Ferrari that has 819 horsepower? How wait, how does that make any sense? Right? So I think this is not quite the, I think this is the Dino, but not the way we thought it was going to be. So let's dive in and see what makes the 296 actually tick. The times, they are a-changing. With an eye into the future, Ferrari has introduced its first six-cylinder engine on a road-going model since the 70s. The new 296 GTB, designed to slot into the range above the F8 Tributo, or Tributo, whatever, Ferrari says it's the most fun-to-drive car in our product range. That's saying something. That's saying a lot. I want to point out that what? So this actually sits above the F8. So it's not an entry-level, because if this was an entry-level Ferrari, this would sit below. Because if you remember, you have the 458, the 488, and then the F8, right? I think I'm missing something in between, but that's what the F8 is. It's just a new 488, okay? And the 458, 488, and F8, that wasn't, that wasn't an entry-level Ferrari in the way that we think of an entry-level Ferrari. That was just a normal Ferrari, right? So to say that a V6 hybrid Ferrari sits above a normal Ferrari means that this is an, not, an extra, not an extraordinary Ferrari, because that's the, or an extraordinary Ferrari, like the SF90. But that does mean this has got some performance credentials, which we know, considering it has 819 horsepower. But still... That just goes to show that this is not the Dino that we thought it was. This is not the mid-level Ferrari we were expecting it to be, right? If if the 488 or the 458 is sort of like the benchmark middle Ferrari for like a 911 GT3 kind of fast car, this might be 911 GT3 RS, maybe around that range. Called the 296 GTB, the new car swaps the F8's turbocharged 8-cylinder engine for a hybridized V6 making this Ferrari's first six-cylinder sports car since the Dino 246, which Ferrari didn't actually, which didn't actually wear Ferrari badges. It will cost 269,000 euros, or the equivalent of $321,000, or 231,000 pounds, and the first car should be with European customers in early 2022, with US cars arriving later that year. But if you're worried about the loss of two cylinders, the loss of two cylinders resulting in a drop in performance, you can rest easy. The 2.9-liter, 120-degree V6 gasoline engine alone makes 654 horsepower. That's C7 Corvette Z06 numbers. That is Gen 5 Viper numbers, okay? Giving 218 horsepower per liter, which says Ferrari, well, which Ferrari says is the highest specific output of any production car on sale. Add in the electric motor and you've got a combined total of 819 horsepower or 830 PS and 546 pound-feet of torque or 740 newton meters of torque, making the 296 substantially more powerful than the 710 horsepower F8 Tributo or the 671 horsepower McLaren Artura Hybrid. Again, 
this is not the entry-level Ferrari. It's weird because it's, we're at the point now where, comparatively speaking, the F8, I mean, well, the Roma more specifically, but as far as mid-engine cars go, as far as mid-engine Ferraris go, the F8 is now the entry-level. That's your starting point. The eight-cylinder twin-turbo V8 is the entry-level. <laughs> what the hell? That's, that is something. That is amazing. How, just how, how crazy, how, how radically the times have changed. Because if we go back to the, two, to the 246 Dino, that was the V6. And then you move up to, uh, what would it be? The 288, which I think was a lot later, but still. And that had a V8. Because your Dino was your entry-level Ferrari. Now the V8 is the entry-level. At the very least, in comparison to the 296. Whoa! Big whoa! Ferrari says that's sufficient to get the rear-wheel drive 296 to 62 miles per hour in 2.9 seconds and, and to 124 miles per hour in 7.3 seconds. For reference, the F8 Tributo needed 2.9 seconds and 7.6 seconds to reach the same speeds. Find enough space and keep the right pedal pinned and you'll see 205 miles per hour on the all-digital gauge pack. Ferrari says the 296 can lap its Fiorano track in 1 minute and 21 seconds, a 1.5 second improvement on the F8. Externally, the, 296, the 296's design borrows extensively from the bigger SF90, and also Ferrari's classic 250LM racer from the 1960s, but to our eyes, looks even better than either. An active rear spoiler contributes to a total of 794 pounds or 360 kilograms of downforce at 155 miles per hour while keeping the overall design cleaner and clear separation and clear separation between the B-pillar and roof panels means it's not hard to see how the inevitable spider version will look. So, 794 pounds of downforce. If I remember correctly, the TA 1.0 Viper had maybe anywhere between 200 and 300, no, 200 and 400 pounds of downforce. So, without an additional splitter, and without an additional spoiler like the TA, without a stick-on wing, or a stick-on splitter, this makes 794 pounds of downforce. Or so Ferrari claims. It might be a little lower than that, but it can't be that much lower. Holy crap! That's, like, that's McLaren level of aero wizardry. Because if you, because if I remember correctly, the McLaren 720S laps Laguna Seca in 1 minute 29 point something. Right around where the P1 was, okay? Only a second off! The Viper ACR Extreme, which has a huge wing, a massive diffuser, and a huge splitter, and four canards, or dive planes. All of that additional aero, and the 720S without any of that, at the very least without ACR race car style aero, got close. I don't think, I'm not sure how many of us realize just how crazy downforce is getting these days. Especially in the lack of additional aero equipment department. Things are getting insane. It's awesome though. And but but obviously what annoys me is like we need to see this on an FMR sports car. We need to see this kind of downforce without additional arrow on a front mid-engine sports car. But to be fair, I'm not sure that's really possible because I imagine the advantage that a mid-engine car has is that especially when you look at the front, when you look at the front of a mid-engine car, there's no engine. So you can dedicate all of that to some front space, but mostly aerodynamics. And with the engine in the middle and at the back, you can manipulate the bodywork around it, around the engine compartment, 
to aid with downforce. I mean, look at the Ford GT and how many, like the, the massive flying buttresses and how many openings and crevices it has around the engine and cabin, right? With a front mid-engine car, most of the front has to be dedicated to, well, A, the suspension components, but B, the engine and cooling that, right? Because with mid-engine cars, you can just have an intake right behind the door, right on the side in the very typical mid-engine space. But with a front-engine car, that's you have grill. You have mostly grill, right? So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying that with a, with an FMR car, it might be a lot harder to get this kind of downforce because of packaging constraints. And I'm not just talking about the engine being in the front and needing a bunch of holes just to cool the darn thing. I'm talking about where the cabin sits as well. Maybe that's part of the problem. But in all fairness, the cabin would be a problem. And they figured it out on mid-engine cars. So I, I don't know why they haven't gotten, as far as I can see, few FMR cars, if any, have gotten this level of downforce without using additional arrow, additional arrow bits. So maybe it's just because there's fewer and fewer FMR sports and supercars of this type. I mean, that's certainly a part of it. But I do have to wonder if it's a packaging problem, mostly because the engine's in the front that takes up all the space you, you would normally use for directing the air to increase downforce. But... Anyway, let's move on. The interior is similarly restrained and very definitely driver focused with no sign of the large console mounted touchscreens fitted to most modern cars. Even the shape of the dashboard, a long horizontal form almost unconnected to the transmission tunnel is reminiscent of the original V6 Dino's dashboard from the 1970s. And the retro look gear selector lifted from the SF90 mimics the look of a classic open gate shifter. So what about this new hybrid system? It comprises a single 164 horsepower, 232 pound-feet of torque electric, electric motor mounted between the ICE motor and the 8-speed transmission, and a 7.45 kilowatt-hour battery pack mounted under the floor. As with the larger all-wheel drive 3-motor SF90 hybrid and McLaren's new Artura with which the 296 will compete, there's a dedicated EV mode. Ferrari quotes an electric range of 15.5 miles, which is piddly, which is 3 miles less than McLaren claims for the Artura which is still piddly. You can expect to see more of this hybrid powertrain or at least some version of it in Ferrari's upcoming Puro Sogne, Puro Sogne, I hope I got that right, SUV. Like McLaren, Ferrari has worked hard to limit the amount of weight added by the hybrid hardware apart from dropping two cylinders. So, you know, apart from dropping two cylinders, the 296 is 1.8 inches or 46 millimeters shorter than the F8 Tributo and measures two inches or 15 millimeters less between the axles. So it's, it's hardly any smaller. The 296 is 3,241 pound or 1,470 kilogram dry weight in its lightest configuration is only 77 pounds or 35 kilograms heavier than the old F8 Tributo. Though McLaren will be pleased that the Artura undercuts its new rival by 165 pounds or 35 kilograms? That must be like 45 or 55 kilograms. That's got to be a typo. But there's the option to go a little higher with your 296 if you're prepared to make your wallet lighter at the same time. As with the SF90, the 296 is available with an optional Assetto Fiorano handling package, Multimatic dampers, carbon, carbon body parts, and a composite rear screen and sticky Michelin Cup 2R rubber help reduce weight by 27 pounds or 12 kilograms, and you can carve out another 15.4 pounds or 7 kilograms if you go for the optional carbon fiber wheels, which will help with rotational mass as well, you know, in reducing that. Ferrari hasn't released US prices for the 296 GTB or the Assetto Fiorano package yet, though you can forget any notion that its six-cylinder powertrain means this is going to be a baby Ferrari bargain, as we have just seen. 
But with looks like this and 819 horsepower, yeah, 819 horsepower driving the rear wheels, whatever it costs, looks like it'll be money well spent. With the car scoops article out of the way, let's move to road and track and get some additional information, skipping over the things we've already talked about. And one of the things we haven't actually talked about is the sound, which we're going to get into right now. As for the sound, Ferrari says we shouldn't be worried. The engine quickly earned the nickname Pocolo V12, or Little V12, during its development thanks to its unique symmetrical firing order, relatively straight and short exhaust, and its 8,500 RPM redline. We've done a deep dive on the engine in a separate article. Head on over here to learn more about it. Okay, we'll do that specifically at a later date, but I've actually heard, I've watched a video of this car and heard it. It sounds like a little V12. They're not kidding. It's not marking a hype. It legitimately sounds like a small V12, which is fantastic. Alrighty, and with the technical specs out of the way, yeah, we've already just finished that. Let's talk about the looks, because that's something that's really, really important for pretty much any Ferrari. Not now... Ferrari has not always made a winner in terms of visual appeal. We know this. I mean, the F50, that's kind of neither here nor there. The Ferrari 400 from the 80s, that's... Eh. Like, it's not a it's not a great Ferrari. Not as not not like how Ferrari should be. It, it would be fine as anything else, but as a Ferrari, it's just... Nah. The 430, the F430, I think has, has gotten better over time. But I think the F... F30, F430, sorry, the F430 Scuderia is better, and then the 458 is better than pretty much all of those. That's easily one of the best looking Ferraris ever, ever, certainly of the modern era at least. And so, again, Ferrari has not always had winners with their design. I mean, that's just not the case. I mean, I would say the FF, but no, the FF, that was pretty okay. The first gen California, that's a good example of a car not everyone liked visually. I didn't mind it, actually. I liked it, but not everyone was a fan of that car. And so while styling, I think, is important to a Ferrari, it should be it should be an important factor, an important factor of the car. Again, they don't always create winners. Ferrari's designers don't always pump out and or pit Farina, depending on the era, don't always smash it out the park. However, I do think they've done a good job here. I, I think I need to look at it a little bit more because I haven't actually looked at it that that much. But something the road, I think it was either Road and Track, and I, and I kind of skipped over because we sort of talked about the design. But something Road and Track noted is that the design isn't the hyper aggressive, hyper and I say macho, but hyper macho design that we've seen, like the A12, I think the F8, maybe the SF90. It's not this lines everywhere, very incredibly snarling. Again, uber-aggressive design. It isn't that. It's actually a lot more fluid to me. It's a lot more fluid. It's a lot more organic. It kind of calls back to, I think, their 60s sports cars a little bit more. Certainly their mid-engine offerings. It's like it's almost like a really grown-up 4C to me. That's kind of what it's like. Now, not in terms of styling, styling elements or styling cues. No, but I mean in terms of almost like it's innocence, right? It's kind of like a 4C to me. That's a good thing. That's a very, very good thing. Because I'm someone who prefers more organic design, more fluid design. Like the C7, it's funny because when the C7 came out, I didn't really like it from all angles because I thought it was, it was way, they had way too many character lines and it, a ridiculous amount of creases. It was really linear. And I, and there are linear designs that work, wedge-shaped cars, for example. But to me, it was just, it was overdone. It had too much going on. And then the C8 came out and I was like, whoa that's linear that is over that's overstyled right 
Because my favorite modern Corvette is the C6, because that's a very organic, kind of natural design to me. They didn't add creases out the wazoo. They didn't add character lines out the wazoo. They let it flow more, like water, maybe like a speed form even. And so instead of the car being origami, like some are, <coughs> the C8, this is way, way more like a speed form. It's fluid. It flows like water. And I like that a lot. I'm not sold on the rear end, especially not the taillights, because you know how Ferrari, they typically have their circular taillights? And then they either have the single the single set like they did for the 458, what was it, the 458, the FF, the F12, and the cars from that era. And then they move towards having the quad taillights again, like on the GTC4 Luso, the 812, and I think the 488. Well, the 296 GTB goes for an interesting mix, combined with something we haven't seen I don't think we've seen, well, we've seen it in a Ferrari, but only only ever since the Roma. So they have quad taillight, like, cutouts. They're not cutouts, but glass for it. But the actual taillight element, the thing that actually lights up is just a horizontal bar that spans both little cutouts. So it's, so it's, it's like a line in, in, I don't know, gimp, paint, uh, paint, whatever the old, what well, I think, what was it? Windows paint? Microsoft paint. It's like that. It's one little line. I think it's the new 911, the 992, has a singular line. It's like that, but way, way shorter. Like, cut three quarters of the length out of the 911 taillight, and that's that single bar, short length. You, you'd have a pretty good idea of what it looks like on the 296. And again, I don't... Because I've been saying this over and over and over again, because it's such an increasing trend lately. The new Grand Cherokee L has this kind of taillight, where it's just one little bar. Now, you won't... You won't confuse a 296 GTB for a Grand Cherokee L, thank God, because the taillights and the shape of the car are complete. The shape of the horizontal bar, especially, well, not the shape, but the length, completely different. The shape of the rear, completely different. The shape of the overall car or vehicle, completely different. But the one thing they both share is the fact that it's a single element DRL, or not DRL, single element taillight. It's one bar, one horizontal bar, and that's it. Not like the racetrack taillights, it's one per side. Let me clarify that but still and that's it and i again i don't like that because to me it's just it's cheap it's lazy it's like oh we know what we're gonna do for the tail one bar bam job done it's like no like remember when dodge brought out the racetrack taillights on the 2011 charger before it came out on the dart like how cool was that and seeing that down the road i love seeing dodge durangos with the racetrack taillight that's such a cool lighting signature this isn't cool like, that's not a cool lighting signature at all. That's, like, that's just a capital I rotated horizontally. That's what that is. And so I'm, ju I'm just not a fan because so many automakers are doing that now. And it's so monotonous to me. It's really, really monotonous. And so it, it, it disappoints me that Ferrari did this with the Roma, although they split it up. Because with this, it's one single horizontal bar, whereas on the Roma, it's, it's actually two per side. But still... It disappoints me to see automakers, and especially Ferrari, going to this style more and more because it's it's not unique. It really, really isn't unique. Everyone is doing it. It's You know when people complain about, oh, automaker, cars look the same now. All cars look the same. And I, I personally don't believe that because I'm like, I know when I see a Rio versus a Dart because there are differences. It may not be as much as cars from the 60s or the 70s, but it's like, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious. Like, a Durango doesn't look the same as an Explorer. You're just not looking hard enough. You're just complaining to complain, 
right? So I never like when people say, oh, all modern cars look the same. It's like, no, you're just lazy and can't be bothered to tell the difference. But with the taillights, those people would actually have a point because they're all the same. They really are now. And that's such a shame. It's like, I, I like the more intricate designs because it's fun to look at. It's like, wow, look at how crazy that is. And there'd be no mistaking an intricate DRL or taillight signature down the road. But with a horizontal bar, it's like, same, 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 and same. Yeah. Speaking of other things I don't like regarding the rear of the 296 GTB, it's where they've placed the lower exhaust port. So remember when the Lamborghini Gallardo came out? I think it was, ooh, let's talk about the 2007 version. I don't know if it came out then, but we're talking about the pre-facelift first-gen early Lamborghini Gallardos and how they had that lower exhaust port below the taillights and how it had that, stu it had that stupid grinning shape. So imagine that, but a little more rounded because the, the Lamborghini Gallardo's rear exhaust port, rear cooling massive vent was very squared off. So it had that flat edge on the top and then going, going towards the lower bumper, it was rounded and then it was flat again. So on the 296 GTB, it's rounded all the way. It's all the way around. So it's sort of, it's like an oval. So you have an oval on the bottom and then getting, getting towards like the top, like the top of the exhaust, it gets flat again. And so it's kind of, in fact, with the taillights and that rear, for lack of a better term, exhaust port or massive vent, it's like a different version of the Lamborghini Gallardo. So imagine, again, horizontal bar for taillights, and then that exhauster port right at the bottom, and it spans the width of the, ta of the, of the tail end. And you'd have a pretty good idea of what it looks like just modernized and with a Ferrari spin on it. I don't like it to me. I don't, I say to me. I don't like it because to me it looks derpy. It's a little derpy. It's a little, yeah. I think derpy is the best word. The best word to describe that. It's, it's, it's just goofy looking. It's just very goofy looking to me. So I'm not a fan of it upon first glance. But if I see one of these things in the flesh, I might change my mind. I might like it a lot more. Although with that said, I also don't like how the rear exhaust bezel. It looks like a bezel, not the actual exhaust tip is integrated into, into the exhaust vent as well, or into the massive rear vent. That kind of adds to the goofiness. I say it adds to the goofiness. Actually, you know what? It would look worse without it. It would look way goofier without it. So no, you know what, Ferrari, that was a good move. That was a good move. I'm, I'm okay with that. So that rant aside, let's go all the way to the front. Let's move to the opposite end of the car. And I like it. I They've done what they did with the taillights and had a single, single horizontal... Horizontal, horizontal, ugh. horizontal bar for the DRL. No, <laughs> no, again, that's, that's just not that creative to me. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to be nice about it, especially if I ever, ever have a Ferrari designer on the show. Like I can't be mean, but it's, it's not that interesting. It's not that creative. It's, 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 they took the easy way out. That's how it seems to me. And I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not pleased about. I'm not pleased with that. Because it's like, what happened to interesting DRLs? It's like, those are the eyes. Not only are the headlights of the car, DRL during the day, like, that's what you're going to see. That's what is immediately going to grab your eye. And that's how you're going to tell what the car is down the road. How the hell are you supposed to tell what the car is down the road if it has a single, a single DRL element for the front? Now, I would likely be able to tell because the position is a little inset from the rest of the headlight. And then again, the rest of the shape of the car. But it's it's just so boring. It's so so boring. It's unimaginative. It's like 
could you have done a little more? Make it a little more interesting? Like, any anything would be better than that. Seriously. But, as, as for the rest of the face, I do like it. Because, again, it's not... It's not overly aggressive. It's not overstyled. It's relatively reserved. It is relatively reserved. And I'm, I'm glad about that because it seems organic. It's, it's classy. It's a classy Ferrari. And I really, not as classy as the Roma. Not as classy as the Roma, but it's classier than the mess that's the 4.8. Or sorry, a 4.8. Classier than the mess that is the F8. It's classier than the A12 because that's a huge mess in the front. It's just I don't like the look at the headlights. The grill, that thing's a mess of character lines and creases and all that stuff. Even in the front. This is way better. This is like a modernized version of the design language we saw, I think, on the 458 and the F12. This is a modernized version of that. Making it a little more aggressive, but not overdoing it. So, outside of the DRL, I actually like it a lot from the front. I'm a big fan of the design from the front. Now, let's talk about the silhouette. Sometimes, so... From the actual side, like the profile, I really, really like it. I love this gorgeous side because they have this character line that's well below the belt line of the car. It's like mid-door. And so it's the it's this character line that it's sort of like a crease. It creates a bit of a crease between the door surface that goes down towards the side skirt surface. And then where they sculpted the body above above the crease, above sorry, the character line to be flat as to channel the air into the side vent and it adds so much depth to the body because what something i'm a really big fan of in the gen 5 viper is how the cabin seems to be it's how the cabin is so like inside like inset from the rest of the body and so you have this massive especially going towards the rear you have this massive hip that extends because you have that canopy that that actually shrinks towards the rear window making the hip of the car bigger and bigger and bigger as you go back towards the ducktail the ducktail spoiler, the integrated ducktail spoiler. And so I'm a big fan of that look, of that like small, narrow cabin, and then the wide body, because it adds so much depth and, and like meat to the car, but not in a bad way, in a really, really good way. And so Ferrari has done that. Ferrari has done that by kind of like manipulating, by taking advantage of this character line that leads into the side vent that cools the engine and made that, that portion of the body made that surface flat. So again, it not only channels the air into the side vent, but then it goes up, it curves up to meet the door, meet meet the windowsill, the bottom of the window, and then the where the belt line actually is. Hopefully that made sense. I, that sounded really, really convoluted, but all of that, all of that is to say, there is some wonderful depth in the midsection of the body of this car that's just so, so juicy and attractive. I love it so much. It's really, really nice. And then what they've added at the rear, which is even better, just past the rear vent, just past the, the side vent behind the driver and passenger door that, again, cools the engine, they've actually added this hump over the rear wheel, over the wheel well. And it, it's like, what? Because with some mid-engine cars, they, they keep that, I think they keep that area flat or they... They use some like visual illusions to make you think it has this hump, and it doesn't. It's like it. It's so hard to explain, but it's like it's it's like a shoulder. It's like the shoulder of the car. So you see this circular arch that goes above the wheel arch. So again, it adds dimension. It's it's like the hips on a cheetah, especially when it's crouching, like the front, the the front. I say hips, the front shoulders on a cheetah. You know, like when it's crouching and about to take off, and you can see the top, the top of the shoulders, like the muscle. 
They've added that at the rear. It's got cheetah shoulders. They don't do that for all mid-engine cars. And it's so, so attractive. It's almost like because, because they haven't added an actual Coke bottle shape to the car because of the side vent, it's like they're using it's like they're using this haunch over the rear over the real wheel arch rear wheel well, whatever you want to call it, to give it that sort of bigger at the ends and then sunk in the middle perception. That that sort of design trait. And it's it's a brilliant workaround. It's a really, really, really nice workaround because again, it it flows gorgeously into that side and then the rest of the body, especially from like a top-down three-quarter angle, looking at it from the rear. Ooh! Ooh! That's got to be one of the hottest angles. No, this car, from this angle, has to be one of the most... One of the sexiest cars from this angle we've seen in a while. It's so, so attractive. It is so good-looking. It's so visually appealing. And again, but that goes back to how organic it is. They just let the body flow around certain points in the vehicle they didn't try to add too many creases too many character lines to add intrigue intrigue to add appeal they let the body itself and how they molded it almost like how they molded it around specific points on the car do the talking and it's wonderful that the side profile is gorgeous it is super super good looking it's very pretty very very pretty like alfa romeo level pretty again this is easily one of the best looking Ferraris, potentially since the 458. I think at least certainly one of the best mid-engine looking ones because it's so it's just organic. Ferrari didn't go overboard. They did not go overboard with the overstyling. They went back to what they do best, molding the body. Rather than like carving it, which is how linear design seems to work to me, they molded it and then did a little bit of carving here and there, like on the side bend. And it's this wonderful mix of Hints of linearity, hints of strong, sharp character lines here and there, and then 60s like fluidness or 60s like fluidity. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Let's move to the interior though, because again, I've rambled about the exterior for long enough. It's your standard Ferrari interior. What I find interesting though is they actually have, you know, how I think it's on the 812, how they have that passenger. I think it was the 812 and the GTC for Luso, how they had that passenger side screen. They have that here on the 296 as well. And I don't think this might be the first, as far as I know, this might be the first mid-engine Ferrari that actually has a passenger side little screen. I don't know if it's a touch screen because all it has is revs, the speed, and the gear. But yeah, this might be the first mid-engine Ferrari to have that. But if you've seen like the F8 interior or maybe the 488 interior, this is similar to that. It's not a vast departure from the 458. It's like it's it's very much modernized. From that original interior because that interior would have been dated but some of the themes we've been seeing that have been updated over the years on the 488 and then the four uh the f8 they're present here it's not a vast departure from that uh, from that interior concept it's still it should still be relatively familiar i mean especially with the with the steering wheel you still have the button turn signals you still had the little dial on the right corner for race wet and whatever so again it's it really isn't that great a departure, but that's not to say it looks bad. It looks great. High-end interior. I love the red stitching that kind of outlines the sort of like driver command center that has both the side vents and then a bunch of buttons inside and then the gauge cluster that's apparently all digital now as well. So again, it's while it's not a vast departure, it is 
and I think a nice improvement over what we see. Now, what's not good are these capacity buttons because I watched the Throttle House review very recently on the new Roma and apparently these, they're completely digital buttons. So they don't, they give no feedback. Like there's no clicking. As far as I know, there's no sound. It's like they, they respond as far as I understand to how hard you press it, but they don't give you any feedback as to, as to how that, how that differs, right? So it's sort of like, it's a touch screen on a steering wheel. That's, that's effectively what it is. That's what these capacity buttons are. It's just a touch screen on a steering wheel. But instead of, let me, let me open my phone for a second, actually, just to see. If I open like Instagram, okay, there's no rumble if I open Instagram, right? You don't get any of that feedback of having actually clicked something. It's the same on the steering wheel. And what's worse is that the engine stop start button is a capacity button. It's a digital button, like on a touchscreen, like opening an app. And that's poor because as Throttle House pointed out, there's no drama to that. It's not like firing up the engine. It's not like a Lamborghini Aventador or even a Viper with a red start button. It's like, okay, we're about to, all hell's about to break loose. No, it's this non-tactile, boring digital button that takes all, of, it takes all the fun out of starting a car, especially a supercar. It's like you have a 2,992cc twin turbo V6 that sounds like a V12. There should be some drama to that. There should be some fun to that. It's like, okay, let's start her up. But then, right? All that fun is lost. So I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not, at the very least, I'm not a fan of the idea of a button like that. because It just takes the fun out of starting a car like that. But overall, I think I have to give this an 8 out of 10. Visually, there's obviously a few things I'm not totally sold on. But visually... This has got to be one of the best-looking Ferraris we've seen in maybe best-looking mid-engine Ferraris we've seen in very possibly a decade. Has a bunch of horsepower. The interior is nice. Most of the exterior is gorgeous. There are things I love about it. And it's a surprise because we thought this would be a mid-entry-level a Ferrari, and it's not. It absolutely isn't, especially because it actually outperforms the FA Tributo, which is, I think, I think that's a surprise to most people. It's certainly, it was certainly a surprise to me because we had heard Dino, rumor, uh, Dino rumors, Dino rumors, and Dino rumors forever, and the Dino was the entry-level Ferrari, so we expected this to be largely the same. And it's not. It really, really isn't. It outperforms the FA Tributo. So this is like, I think, the new benchmark Ferrari for sure. But in any case, I hope you all enjoyed. What do you think of the new 296 GTB? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Are you somewhere in between? Let me know in the comments if you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do subscribe, please hit the little notification bell and all notifications. That way you're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have a want the pod be mobile app, hey, not a problem. Not a problem. Boot up wherever you get your podcast. Type in Cody's Car Conundrum and then choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time. Before we end, I want to inform you all that you can now monetarily support this podcast and indeed the entirety of Cody's Car Conundrum with Kofi. Uh, well, it might be coffee, but it's spelled K-O-F-I, and that's weird, so I say it Kofi. In any case, Kofi is an alternative to Patreon where, beautifully and as God intended, you, the supporters, don't have to pay a fee, like on Patreon, to support my work. 
So if you like what I do and want to see me cover slash talk about slash make a video regarding something specific or want me to branch out into other areas of car culture, then head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash Cody's Car Conundrum where you can make a minimum donation of $5 towards me and the brand. In return, you'll be helping me afford new equipment, afford upgrades to my existing tools, You'll receive polls asking what topic you want me to dive into next. You'll get to see voted and non-voted content before public release, various forms of recognition for your support, and the ability to vote on merch designs you'd like to see on the Teespring store. And now it's time to close. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.